This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 and 10 through 17. You can find it on page 866 in the Bibles in your rows if you'd like to follow along as I read. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Continuing to verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Zhang. I'm one of the pastors here in New City. We've entered the third Sunday of Joshua sabbatical in the church calendar. It's a period commonly known as extraordinary time. <laughs> and in Joshua's absent, um, our senior pastor is on sabbatical, our, the four of us supporting actors are rotating to preach on Sundays. So if you have any hard questions, please feel free to write them down and save them for Josh in September. Well, today we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke by picking up where we left off a few months ago. We start at Luke chapter 9. Now, Luke 9 may seem like a normal chapter in Luke's Gospel. Jesus and his disciples were just going around and doing their thing. But it's actually a unique chapter because Luke 9 describes the end of Jesus' ministry near Galilee. At the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus will set his face toward Jerusalem and make his way to the cross. And you can say that Jesus, this is Jesus' final preparation before he heads down to Jerusalem to face his death. And how is he going to prepare his disciples 
to continue his mission. Also, you may notice in our passage today that Jesus sends his disciples out to teach about the kingdom of God. And later on, Jesus himself teaches the crowd about the kingdom of God. But Luke gives us no record of what they say. Most likely, they were teaching the same thing that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6 and Luke chapter 8. However, that doesn't mean that we don't learn anything new about the kingdom of God here. Jesus' actions show us what God thinks about our bodies. And it's important because we still fight about it. We don't typically go out of our way in New City here to address cultural cultural war topics in our sermons. I'm going to talk about cultural wars for a little bit because, hey, Josh is not here. (laughs) Think about the most divisive issues in our politics today. How many of them have to do with our bodies, abortion, sexuality, gender, gun control, systemic racism, you name it? Almost all of them, right? Of course, that makes sense because if these were purely philosophical debates, we wouldn't give a rip about them. But because they deal with real people and real bodies, we fight about them everywhere. You may often hear Christians talk about saving souls or bringing people to heaven. Those are certainly true. But if that's all we talk about, then no wonder we're losing grip on our culture. The Bible also talks about our bodies. It talks about the creation of our bodies, ethical standards for our bodies, the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection of the body. In Jesus, God takes on a human body lived in the body, crucified in the body, raised with a body, ascended to heaven with a body, and he will return with a body. The good news of Jesus has much to say about our bodies as well as our souls. If we Christians want to engage in the cultural war debates, then we need to learn to talk about our bodies as well. We need to tell a better story about our bodies. So that's what we see here today in this passage Right off the bat, Jesus sends out the twelve on their mission, and he gives them instructions about their bodies. Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever your house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. In other words, travel light. There's work to do. Get going. But Jesus also telling them, don't worry about your provisions. God will take care of your bodies. God will give you clothes. God will provide you shelter. God will provide you food. God cares about our bodies. The kingdom of God is good news for our souls and our bodies. So let's look at how God cares about our bodies and how he uses his disciples in that process. So first good news, the kingdom of God is about judgment. Did the pastor just say the J word? And so early in his sermon too? (laughs) The judgment is such an unpopular word these days, right? It's often used as a critique. He's so judgmental. It sounds even worse if the judgments come from Christians. Because Christians have the reputation of being self-righteous hypocrites. 
But even though Christians may be judgmental hypocrites, it doesn't mean that judgment can be a good thing. Let me give you two examples. Example number one, April 20th, 2021. Anyone remember what happened? It was the day Derek Chauvin was convicted in the murder of George Floyd. Two months later, he was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison. There was relief. There were tears. There were even some celebrations. Why? Because a corrupt police officer was finally held accountable for unjustly murdering a black man. It shows that we value the bodies of African-Americans. Nobody should be able to take them away by force, not even a police officer. If you were upset about George Floyd's death, then this judgment is good news. And if you have suffered abuse, mistreatment to your body, discriminations because of your skin color, then judgment is good news because it means there's justice for you. If you love someone who has been harmed, you want justice for them as well. Without judgment, there's no justice. The question is not whether we like judgment or not, but who is the judge? Is the judge going to be good and just? All right, that's example number one. Example number two. Let's go back to the cultural wars a little bit. How do we resolve those issues? We don't, right? We fight with our votes. Both sides try to drive out the bases. And the sides that wins gets to overpower their opponents and set policies for the next two to four years. Power rules. And their policies may be overturned in the next election. Doesn't matter. At least we have the power right now. And there's do if there's no clear winner in one election, then we just kick the can down the road and try again in the next election. But hey, that's how democracy works. At least it's peaceful. The many dictators in the world will simply imprison their opponents. Now, is there a better way forward? Of course there is. Even my kids know that. But whenever there's a fight between our son and our daughter, two things could happen. One, whack. The stronger dominates the weaker. Power rules. Or two, mom! They cry for someone to adjudicate between them. They cry for mom because they trust mom. They know mom is good. They know mom will be nice. They know mom can decide between right and wrong. We have courts and justices to adjudicate things. But nobody trusts them. That's why we fight about them too. But what, we have, what, what if we have a judge that is truly good, truly just, and truly wise? A judge that can make judgments that do not oppress others. Well, we like that. Then again, our problem is not whether or not we welcome judgments, but what kind of judge we will have. And this is where Jesus communicates to his disciples, he is the judge. Jesus tells them at verse 5, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Essentially, it's the king saying, you represent me. You are my ambassadors. If people do not receive you, it's offense against me, and I will judge them accordingly. Jesus is the king. He is the ultimate judge. 
And just like any other king's allegiance and obedience become a dividing line. And when Jesus' words are preached, it forces people to make a decision. They either accept it or they reject it. The one thing they can do is to be lukewarm about it. Because at the end of the day, they will be judged by their reaction to it. And that may not be a comfort to many of you. You may even think that it's such a narrow-minded thing to say. I know a lot of brothers and sisters in China who are holding on to this promise right now. They continue to preach God's gospel because they believe it's the only hope for the world and to persevere in the face of persecution because they trust that God will eventually give them justice. Now my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems so strong, often so strong, God is the ruler yet. Now, Jesus is the ultimate judge. But notice, not yet. He only tells the disciples to shake off the dust from their feet as a testimony against them. Judgment did not happen right then and there. That means there's still time. There's still time to align yourself with the king. There's still time to receive Jesus before he comes as a judge. Perhaps the question for some of you is, is this king truly good, just, and wise? Is this a king that you can throw your lot in for the rest of your life? Let's go to our next point. Second good news, the kingdom of God is about healing. As Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to preach, he made them his representatives. And not just in name only, Luke says he gave them power and authority over all the demons to cure disease. And later on, when the crowd comes to him in Bethsaida, he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cure those who had need of healing. He empowers the disciples to do the same thing that he has been doing. And verse 6 says, They departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now think about this for a minute. How did the kingdom usually expand? Look at what Russia is doing in Ukraine right now. A kingdom expands by killing and destroying by brute force. The generals and armies go out to dominate and suppress. The Israelites were living under the thumb of Rome. They know. But Jesus' kingdom expands by healing and restoration. He sends his disciples out to heal and restore. I'm not sure if you noticed a small change in Luke chapter 9. This is the first time when the 12 disciples were referred as apostles. Why is that significant? Well, the word disciple means to follow. They were students. They followed Jesus. The word apostle means to be sent out. They have now been authorized and empowered to do Jesus' works. And a major part of that work is healing. The gospel is not just a message of hope about our future. It brings restoration to our bodies and our world right now as if the blessings of the future world are so full that it cannot contain itself and overflows into our present reality. It brings healing to our bodies. It chases away all evil forces. 
and it brings healing to our relationships. We're now representatives of Jesus' kingdom here. We're not apostles. We do not personally receive supernatural power to heal. My sermons won't become holy scriptures, thankfully. But God gave his church a variety of gifts. Not all faithful Christians should become preachers. Some of you have more important work to do. Some of you work in healthcare. Some of you work in criminal justice system. Some of you are counselors and teachers. Some of you are city planners. Some of you work with kids and families. Almost all of these have some elements of healing in your job. Even you, engineers, bring healing to our machines and things that break. And so that society could continue to flourish and do it well. Because whatever, wherever the good news is preached, restoration should also happen. Healing is the visible sign of God's kingdom expansion. And that's why our church gives money to organizations like CityLink Center or RUNA or Back to Back or Life Forward. Don't forget to take a baby bottle in the comments, by the way, or bring your bottles back. We want to partner with organizations that bring healing and restoration to the world. Maybe that's a good question to ask yourself the next time you think about your next career move. Does this job bring restoration and healing to the world? Or does it only tear down and destroy? When you go to work, does your presence create a culture of reconciliation and restoration? Or do you just join the rat race and add to the cutthroat competition? And maybe now you can begin to see why the kingdom of God has to be both a kingdom of healing and a kingdom of judgment. Because injustice stands in the way of restoration. To heal, we must have justice. But that's not all. Let's come to our last point. We come to the main course of the day. Point number three, the feeding of the multitudes. It's the only miracle along with Jesus' resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels. It shows that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of abundance. Now, after the disciples returned from their journey, Luke says Jesus took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. The Gospel of Mark adds that Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Again, you can see Jesus were concerned about their bodies. But their rest did not last long. Because when the crowd heard about it, they followed him there. They disrupted their rest. And Luke says, Jesus welcomed them and spoke to them out of the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. Now, when the crowd comes to Jesus, they're hungry for a few things. They're hungry for his word. They stay with him all day long, listening to his teachings. They want to know more about his kingdom. And second, they're hungry for healing. They brought their sick and their demon-possessed, and Jesus cured them. And lastly, they're hungry for food. It's getting late. These people have been there for a long time. They need food. Now, if you go to a conference, like one of those Gospel Coalition conferences, what happens around noon? The conference schedules in a break. 
right, take a nap. Go meet with your friends. Go walk around. See you in two hours. In other words, lunch on your own. You buy your own lunch. We ain't feeding you. You go to a Taylor Swift concert. Your dinner's on you. Just sad because you already paid like two million bucks for those tickets. <laughs> now Jesus' disciples are getting anxious, maybe even hangry. They can see a disaster coming. All these people are sitting here. They're hungry. They said, "Send the crowd away to go into surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're here in a desolate place. It's time to take a dinner break. Let them get dinner on their own." And Jesus said. You give them something to eat, and they said, "You crazy? They didn't pay us to feed them. They have five thousand just men alone. Unless we are going, we are to go and buy food for all these people. Of course, they don't have money to buy food for all these people. Plus, where are they going to get food in this desolate place? There's a shortage of food, shortage of options, shortage of money." Make a note. Next time, have the conference in New York City and charge registration fees. But Jesus said, "Have them sit down in groups about fifty each." And as they did so, you can imagine they may be getting a bit confused at this point. Then he took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven, and said a blessing over them. Then he gave them to the disciples and said before the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus was right. The disciples did end up feeding the people. They kept passing out the food, and the food kept coming. And as a reminder to them about the abundance in Jesus' kingdom, there were twelve baskets of leftover broken pieces. Now, you guys didn't think that we could feed five thousand people. Well, here's a basket of leftover for each one of you. Jesus fills their hunger for his teaching. He fills their hunger for healing, and he fills their hunger for food. Now, who gives out free food in the Greco-Roman world? You see that in the movie Gladiators, the emperor, the king, right? It's a sign of benevolence, abundance, wealth of the empire. It's also a way to bribe the goodwill of the people. And we see in John chapter six, once the people were fed, they what did they want to do? They wanted to make Jesus king. The Roman Empire's abundance. Comes from oppression and killing. Jesus' abundance comes with healing and restoration. But this is not just a political statement; it's also a theological statement. If you're an Israelite and you're being fed in the wilderness, what comes to your mind? You think of Exodus. You think of your ancestors in the wilderness. You think of manna, the bread from heaven. Could this man? Be a king, who feeds people bread. And could this king be God, who sends us manna from heaven? And sometimes I joke with people that I work for a nonprofit in Norwood, but that's a lie. Because the church is the wealthiest organization in the world. And I know that's not what our tax status says, because what the IRS looks at, what most people look at, is our possessions here. But what organizations in the world has a leader that have unlimited resources? And what investment plan tells you to give away your money here, so that you can have unbounding inheritance 
in eternal life. Sometimes Jesus may multiply the little bit you have so that you could bless others. Sometimes he makes you poor here so you can hunger for the riches of his kingdom. But all we need to do is obey. Because we can be certain that this king does not lack resources. Everything in the world belongs to him. He can create things out of nothing. Now I can imagine some skepticisms. I can imagine skepticisms from some cynics. So what? The healed died. The fed went hungry again. Worse yet, maybe you have been hurt by the church. You know plenty of church scandals where pastors defrauded people. Just a few weeks ago, there was a report of the Catholic Church abusing 2,000 kids in Illinois. How terrible and evil. Or you may have trouble with God's judgment. Especially the exclusive claim that everyone has to accept Jesus to be saved. What about my unbelieving brother who passed away? What about my Uncle Ned, who was the nicest atheist I know? It's okay to ask tough questions. It's okay to be skeptical. The Christian church has committed many great evils and scandals. And Christians have behaved like judgmental hypocrites. We need to repent of that, don't we? If you've been hurt by the church, we are sorry what you're going through. We are so glad you're here today. We're glad that you can listen to what we have to say. We love to answer your questions and talk to you. But we also want to make sure that you're asking the right questions. Perhaps the question should not be whether you like what we are saying or not, or whether you can accept it or not. Perhaps the real question should be, despite all the harm and all the hypocrisies by the Christians, is this still real? If there's no kingdom of God to come, then yes, the healings are all fake, the hungries will go hungry again, the sick will continue to die, the justice won't be fully established, there'll be no judgment, there'll be no redemption, no healing, you should absolutely do whatever you want with your body, because frankly, who cares? But there's a place in Acts 26 where the Apostle Paul is talking to the Roman governor, Festus, about Jesus' resurrection. The governor was a skeptic, you see. And he said to Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has made you mad. And Paul replied, no, I'm not. I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped your notice, for this has not been done in a corner. These things did not happen in a corner. Why did all four of the Gospels record Jesus' feeding of the 5,000? Because at the time of their writing, many of these 5,000 people were still alive. People could go talk to them, verify the whole thing with them. If you're a skeptic, that's okay. But I hope you can do yourself the favor to verify things first. Yes, the healed did eventually die. The filled went hungry again. But all these things we looked at today are only pointing to the greater miracles to come. Jesus' feeding points toward not just an abundance of food, but an abundance of life. He gave out bread because he is the bread of life. 
He healed diseases because one day he will bring forth a world where there will be no more disease. The king has authority over you. He will execute the ultimate judgment, but he is executed in judgment for you. He is the king that will never oppress you because he died to save you, save you from your hunger, save you from your pain, save you from your unbelief. Christ the king died for your sins on the cross so that by receiving him, you'll be forgiven. And best yet, Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus' grave is empty. All the emperors and the most powerful kings in the world lie in the grave, but Jesus' grave is empty. He is still alive. He conquered even death itself. He is truly unstoppable. He is working in your lives right now. He continues to love you and heal you. And one day you will rise up with him in an imperishable body. Is this king truly good, just, and wise? This is a king that you can throw your lot in for the rest of your life. So let me leave you with a quote from the late Tim Keller, who staked his whole life on Jesus. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, for the testimony of who Jesus is, what he has done for us. Not only that he fed us, gave us healing, he blessed us in this world, in our bodies, that we can feel the wind on our faces and the sun on our bodies. But we know that you use all these things to point to the greater miracle that he has done for us, that on the cross, he died for our sins to bring healing to our world, healing to our souls, to our relationships. And one day, we'll rise up with him in abundance of life. So, Father, we pray that you will feed us now and give us the strength to carry on the work of Jesus to preach the gospel and to bring healing and abundance to the world. We pray that you would bless us on our steps, every step that we take. Pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.